Welcome to another segment of Let's Talk UNLV on KUNV. You with co-host Keith and Renee. Renee, how was your weekend? Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, my mother came to see me along with my mentor from Texas, and we went to Pahrump for the winery. We did the spa treatment at Green Valley. Uh, we went to the Seven Magic Mountains. Now, the Seven Magic Mountains, <laughs> they were not convinced that was art. They said, <laughs> they said what is what is this? Now, it's like I've been primary here 20, colors. What I've is been here this? 26 years. I've not even heard of that that location. Okay, so they loved everything about the trip, and then we ended the trip with David Copperfield. But the Seven Magic Mountains, that was not a go. <laughs> <laughs> Take it off the list. <laughs> Take it off the list. Take it off the list. What about your weekend? Uh, I had, you know, I took some inspiration from you. You know, you've been, you know, you've been impressing me with all these outings you've been doing the past few weeks. So I had some family in town okay and you know vegas just reopened yes so they called me like hey hey cousin i'm in town can you come so i said okay i'm gonna come and hang out and i had not been out and you know i didn't realize you know I, you know you read that vegas is open but it was open, open. it was open so capital o p i'm telling you <laughs> like maybe one out of a thousand people yeah. had a mask on and i was the one <laughs> So, you know, you people looking at you strange, like, man, what's wrong with this dude with a mask on? But, you know, then we went, you know, we didn't plan it. So we went out to a few places trying to get something to eat. Two hour wait, mm. hour and a half wait. So, yeah, we ended up eating some fast food. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, then they told me that I owed them a cookout the next day. So they okay. ended up coming over and we cooked out and hung out. So, but yeah, it was good <clears throat> just to be out again. Yes. But, you know, speaking of just the pandemic and safety protocols and sort of how we reopen and safely. And, you know, I'm glad to <clears throat> to invite our guest today, you know, Angela Amar, who's the dean of the nursing school. So, Dean Amar, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us just maybe a high level overview, like how long you've been in Vegas, you know, how you ended up becoming the dean of the nursing program and. And then we'll go from there with other questions. Sure. So I've been here three and a half years now. Um, was in Atlanta at Emory, um, minding my own business when recruiters called me. And as they described UNLV and the mission and the journey that UNLV was on, I was found myself pretty captivated and um, really liking what UNLV was trying to accomplish, the flavor of the place interviewed, got the job, and it's been all that I thought it would be. There's so much possibility, so much promise, um, so much good. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, so talk to us about coming to be the dean at UNLV. What were some of the things that you looked for, some of the programs that you were hoping to, to start? What was that experience like when you first uh, settled, in, uh, settled at UNLV? So I love that UNLV um, had that top-tier mission and vision. I like that the university aspired to become a better um, top place. And I love that the university was committed to doing it with the student body that it already had because those are students that don't always get to experience the top-tier education. Mm. So this idea of having a lot of first-gen, diverse, underrepresented students. Um, I love the fact that the university also was committed to helping the problems of the region. And in my school, I feel like we've been able to and have plans to affect change within the region. So increasing the number of um, undergraduate students that we take, we had over a 40% increase. So that means more nurses are available to work. 
Um, and even in the pandemic, every student who's graduated has immediately gotten a job. Mm. And even with the pandemic, the increased um, interest in nursing has only increased. So I think right now we're the most popular major of the incoming students because um, lots of people want to be a nurse. We started a psychiatric nurse practitioner program, and that responds to huge needs in the state where we don't have enough mental health providers. And so through this program, we'll increase access to mental health care. We're also starting, um, starting, we're planning, working on starting a certified nurse midwifery program. So there'll be nurse midwives available who can assist with all the maternal child needs in the state, which we're also not doing well on those kind of metrics. And finally, we're going to start a certified registered nurse anesthetist program. And that program um, means that surgery wait times will hopefully decrease because we've got a cadre of prepared nurses who can administer anesthesia in surgery and other procedures. Hmm. So lots of big plans and lots of stuff we've already done. And just thank you for sharing that overview of all the new programming that's going to be coming online. And one of the things that I'm always interested in, I know we work with a lot of students through our various programs, and I know there's always a lot of students who are interested in nursing. And I know that it's very competitive. Could you speak to just how competitive, you know, it is to get accepted or admitted into the nursing program? Ooh, yeah, that's a challenge, I think everywhere. As I said, we're the most popular major now. We've had more incoming wanting to be a nurse than other degrees. And unfortunately, there's no way we can meet the demand. The students who are interested in nursing are all smart, bright, talented. They've done well in high school. They meet all the benchmarks. Um, ultimately, our program trains them in the classroom as well as in the clinical setting. And so all students have to go to um, clinical experiences, and they, they go to multiple hospitals, so they get everything, all of the medical, surgical stuff, the pediatric, the OB, labor and delivery, geriatric care, um, surgery usually they see, and then a variety of different community kind of placements. And that's really where the stopgap comes because there's only so much that's available for us to be able to expose students to. And so many students, we have caps and numbers that we're kind of regulated with. And so that becomes a stopgap. So, but I say to all the students who are interested um, to pursue your dream, another program we are starting, just started this month, is a second fast track. So students who have a degree in something else but want to be a nurse can come through that program. It's 58 weeks. It's a, it's designed for kind of the student who's already grounded and centered and gets education. And so they do um, everything at a really fast pace. But it's another option for students who um, don't get into the undergrad that they can do that program. So talk to us about how important it is for there to be uh diversity in the uh, number of nurses that we have and, and, and in their practice? I mean, how does that enrich health care? Oh, my God, that's such a great, great, great question. Our student body is 60, over 60% identify as non-white. So we've got students from all kind of ethnic backgrounds and diversity of 
in, in major ways. And for patients, when you look at Las Vegas, part of what fit me here, too, was that this city, we always talk about the changing demographics of America and where this country is, the browning of America, and this city is already there. It's already at the place where diversity, and it looks like what the face of the country will look like. So for patients coming into the hospital, they need to see people who look like them. They need to be cared for by people who look like them. There's enough data evidence to suggest that people get better care from people who look like them. There's also data that says that the um, students of diversity, from diverse backgrounds typically re- go into practice settings that reflect their background and where they are. So they really are giving the care to people who need it and who also need it from a person who understands their perspective, who understands really is cares and wants to be there. So it's, it's hugely important that we are um, graduating all of these students and that they are going out into this community and providing excellent care. And so along those lines, maybe tell our viewers, or our listeners rather, how do you go about selecting the right you know, medical care provider, the right hospital, the right doctor? Uh, you know, are there things that you should look for um, that would, you know, give an indication of how well, you know, the facility or the uh, healthcare workers mm. are going to uh, be good caregivers and, and good, uh, you know, medical care providers? That's a really good question. I think healthcare has gotten so complex that it's often difficult for mm. um, patients to navigate. I've had health issues myself, and I often think if I wasn't a healthcare provider, how would I? make it through the system. Um, there was an article in the New York Times that said, you know, going to the hospital, bring a nurse with you. <laughs> you really need someone advocating and helping you to, you know, take care of you. So, I mean, there's a couple, like, I mean, I think reading all the reviews, the internet makes that easy to see what people are saying about a provider. I went to someone that I thought was my awful and when I went after and looked at the reviews on the person I would have known that before mm. I went had I read it it was an urgent care center but I would have known it before so I think taking advantage of the internet getting recommendations from people getting multiple recommendations and the other thing I think that when you're there I often you know you, you listen to your provider and it's really hard to have to cover everything so there's nothing wrong with making your list of all the things that you want to address and the, the questions you have beforehand. And making it beforehand means that you've got everything, not just, and I don't mean beforehand like just before you get in the car, the week before, kind of adding things to that list. So going in with your list and you have your list of things to be answered. Sometimes I advocate too to people to write stuff down when when you get the answers or have someone with you who writes stuff down when you get the answers, because it's really hard to digest all of that info at one time. So writing it down means that you have what they said. You can hear it clearly. If you've got someone that's dismissive of what you're saying, Mm. that doesn't give credence sort of to what you're saying, I say that's enough. You need to have someone who listens to you, who hears you. And even if you're, 
concerns aren't rooted in science and aren't accurate. You need someone who explains to you why that's so and who still validates that, yes, they would be concerned to feel this too. However, so anyone who doesn't, that you don't feel listened to, heard to, don't continue to go back to that person because that's an important part of the relationship, an important part of getting your health needs met. My mind stuck when you said, you know, go go to the go seek help assistance, but have a nurse with you, right? I'm thinking that could be a business model. I tell you, I know my whole I tell you. my whole entrepreneurship <laughs> stuff was kicking in here. You after you said that, and then but, if that was Dean Amar, there'd be additional fee because it's <laughs> a nurse and a dean. <laughs> there you go. Oh. Triple. Th- I don't know if we want to do that, but there is something about. I mean, I've had that in my own family. Like my mm-hmm. husband, he goes home and. They're telling his grandmother something, and I'm thinking, boy, I wish I was the one in the room because you have no idea what they're talking about or what they're saying. And if you've ever been in hospitals, too, it's just hard to get. I mean, financial models have really taken over, and and we have such rising, spiraling, out-of-control health costs that make it really difficult and so having someone when you're sick you don't want to be having to fight with somebody over pain medicine over food over anything Mm -hmm. having Mm -hmm. someone with you is really helpful for that well i know it take me back to my mom had her knee replacement surgery here in vegas and she's not listening so i can talk a little bit but yeah it was challenging not for us but you know my mom's you know older so she has her mind made up on what she wants how she wants things done so i appreciate whatever training that you that they provide to nurses and patients and just care it was amazing because i was thinking if it was me as the nurse oh i would have pulled my hair out dealing with my mom you know because even the siblings we were fighting over the stuff but but i appreciate all the the nurses do but, but see, one, now I have a plan. I'm going to say, go find me a UNLV nurse. I know <laughs> Dina Marr did not teach them this <laughs> this as an appropriate yeah. response. So I will not be seen unless you find me a UNLV yeah. nurse. Yes. But yeah. one thing I would... We got a lot of good ones out there, too. Lots of good ones. Mm-hmm. And because nursing is so popular among youth, what would be advice you would give to maybe high school students who are aspiring to apply to be in a nursing program, how they can make themselves more competitive? So coming in high school, taking the challenging math and sciences does help. You come into nursing and you've got a heavy dose of science math courses that prepare you um, for what you need. And then when they get to college, one of the things I always say to students is there's very little in our curriculum. So I'm not talking gen ed, but there's very little in what we require that you don't need. So we make people take, you know, anatomy and physiology. We refer to anatomy and physiology all the time. So a lot of times students get used to this idea of you can kind of walk into class and you have a test and you can just sort of memorize all the information and it's sort of like you're balancing a big book on your head and when you get to the test you can just tip your head over and sort of dump all the knowledge on the test and walk out 
And I would say that in nursing, you've got to learn it all and you've got to keep it all because you're going to need it. We're going to talk about where things are located in the body when we're teaching you how to assess for problems. We're going to talk about how things are supposed to work in the body when we talk about how they're not working. We're going to talk about how medicine works based on where it affects the body. So all these pieces. So there's really very, it's very, it's different from a lot of other majors where you kind of can do the head tilt dump. You've got to remember all of that stuff um, and you've got to really learn it and kind of integrate it because you're going to need it repeatedly on the job. So taking the heavy sciences in high school sort of starts to train your brain for thinking that way so that when you get to college and you again take all those heavy sciences, you remember. And then the information you receive from us, because we're teaching everyone how to be a generalist nurse, you could go into any field when you graduate with your Bachelor of Science in Nursing, the BSN. So you learn it all. You take the board exam on it all. And then people typically specialize, but you still have that, that generalist knowledge of kind of all the areas. So let's segue to, to COVID and talk to us about how did you prepare you know, the faculty and the other administrators in your uh, college um, to prepare for COVID? And, you know, what were some of the, the big takeaways and moments of pride and joy, uh, even during this terrible pandemic that you experienced? COVID was a, a good one. I mean, I think every at every graduation or completion ceremony we've had, I've talked about how students had a front row seat to the biggest healthcare challenge or health challenge of our lifetime. And um, there will probably not be another one like this if history's right for another hundred years. So I think the whole change and managing change was very important. Early on, I talked with faculty. We had a lot of town halls. We had a lot of open faculty forums. We had a lot of all-school town halls student town halls, because we really felt it was important to communicate good information and to get that information out to people in a timely manner. And a lot of times with students and faculty, I found myself saying, I don't have an answer now. We'll have one for you when we need to, but right now we can't predict this. Um, things are changing. Things are diff you know, different. And it's, I don't want to tell you something that's, that's wrong. Um, with faculty, I was really clear about our main purpose right now was just was to educate students. I mean, they were homeschooling their own kids. They were in the middle of a lot. And I have a lot of um, women, childbearing age faculty, and those are the people that we're seeing who really hit hard career-wise, personally, professionally with COVID because of all the demands mm -hmm. and competing demands. And so I said, we're not going to think about all of our programming. We're not going to think about the research, the scholarship, the other pieces. We're just, we're going to be true to our educational commitment and we're going to educate students and we're going to do it well. And I'm not asking for anything else at this point. And so we did that for a while. We did go back. We were in our simulation center. So we followed, I had a COVID coordinator because that made sense because it's got to be someone whose responsibility is to do that. And the COVID coordinator really worked with all of the protocols for how we would make sure the students 
to be safe in the Sim Center. We had students coming into the building to study or do classes because they didn't have a strong internet at home or quiet spaces. And so we had to work up protocols for that. And then we also were in the hospital still doing clinical. And so we really had to work with our external partners. The students also were a part of the vaccination clinic, a huge part, so much so that when spring break came, the clinic was very worried about how they were going to meet the demand that week because the students had been the main people given the injections. Um, I think the lessons learned from me really come from, I, I think, it taught us that while we life may seem predictable because we kind of go to the same places, we drive the same routes, we do the same things, that life really isn't predictable, mm-hmm. that we've never really had certainty. Um, and that the thought of not having uncertainty is very um, troubling. And we want to do things to kind of maintain the status quo. But I think the COVID also taught us that where we were probably wasn't where we need to be and that we need to be thinking about a new normal and a new thing that really does prioritize differently about where we put our energies, where we put our um, our time, our treasure, our talents um, in different ways. And so to me, the bigger that's the bigger lesson is kind of we've never had certainty. And so this dealing with uncertainty in the pandemic um, was an interesting challenge that I hope we all learn from and grow from. And the pandemic itself and the quarantine, and I just hope we really look for what is our new normal and that we don't just go back to what we always knew and had because there were pitfalls in what we, what our old normal was. And I would say related to Renee's question in terms of, you know, getting through now that we're reopening for starting July 1 and then be fully open as we return, the students return in the fall. What are some lessons learned through the pandemic in terms of your programming or your approach to preparing students to be effective nurses in the community and and beyond that you will sort of incorporate into how we bring students back and move forward with how we educate students in the nursing program? Okay, so we're we're not come. We're already back, and in large part, we we're back on campus this summer because we have been and we've been face to face in our sim center. So we're, but I think that the pandemic has brought a lot of lessons in terms of the teachable moments, and so a lot of our curriculum sort of shifted because we had this opportunity to do this teachable moment. Um, I think the mental health connectivity needs of our students really became apparent. I mean, that was part of why we're back on campus this summer, because the students really did feel this um, vacuum in terms of all the classes being delivered remotely. And faculty did a lot of work at putting them in groups and all these things, but they wanted more of that connectivity. The simulation center gave them some of that in small groups of eight, but being on campus is designed to do that. Um, I think from a public health nursing perspective, we've always done public health nursing, although the public health system hasn't always been designed for nurses to graduate and want to work there. The pay is lower, all these other pieces. I think the pandemic policy-wise 
when I look at the infrastructure bill that's being proposed is about building up the public health infrastructure so that it could be a stronger in a more preventative way that would have um, helped people. Um, and then as I, I think there have been shifts, I think shifts in the what we teach because we're geared at helping people think about crisis and sort of big population health issues in a different way. And then the other part has been the sort of mining of what worked well during the pandemic that we may want to keep because mm-hmm. we did this emergency rush off to doing things virtually um, and making change. But are there things that worked really well that we don't want to get rid of just because we can? So the threefold kind of thing, I think um, lots of areas for change and for growth from it. Does that answer what you want? Yes. So we're going to get you on to here on this last question. So what's in store for Dina Mar in the future? What, what do you see your career trajectory going? Uh, have you thought that far? Oh, gosh. People ask you that all the time. Like, what do you <laughs> want to be when you grow up? And um, so, so I, from a school perspective, I'll say that our school is one of few in the country where we have, we're recognized as a center of excellence in nursing education for environments that promote student success. We've applied for a second center of excellence, which is about faculty pedagogy and faculty excellence. We'll find out fairly soon if we get this. Um, I think the continued growth of this school is important because when I look at the healthcare needs of the state, so those new programs that we identified, I think are incredibly important. And the other piece is this growing or building of an ac- the academic health center. And so with the School of Medicine graduating its first class and them being complete, we have all the components to develop an academic health center. And for those of you, people who've lived outside of Nevada could possibly have seen an academic health center. And so it does bring the promise of a comprehensive system that all your care needs can be met for you and your family in one kind of place under one umbrella. It brings the potential for research that really does help drive change in terms of new treatments, new self-care things, new ways that people can help themselves to be better, medicines, all kinds of things. Um, And I think the Economic Health Center will also be an economic driver in terms of creation of jobs, creation of um, more patients. We look at Las Vegas as being able to be a sort of destination medicine place, destination healthcare, and are really excited by that. So I'm really excited by all of the growth and potential that I see here. And if the next three to five years for me are all about this growth trajectory and really helping this school is a good school. We're a top 50 school in the country. Our online programs are number seven in the country. We're a good school, got a lot of good going. I look forward to continuing to make UNLV the best UNLV school of nursing it can be. I look forward to the school of nursing contributing to the top tier mission. Um, And I look forward to continuing to educate the leaders and scholars nurses of the future that really have the ability to, to change healthcare in a positive way and affect the health of the community and the people and citizens in Las Vegas. 
Well, Dean Amar, thank you for joining us today and enlightening us on all the great opportunities that are emerging through the UNLV School of Nursing and just bringing us up to speed on just all the amazing things that are underway there. Uh, Renee, what are some of your takeaways from today's segment? So much he's accomplished in the last uh, three years with the new programs and now this onslaught of a different way of looking at Las Vegas as a destination place for medicine. um, That is very exciting to be a part of. Um, And so just looking forward to seeing what's next to come. I also like that she touched upon how her department, her her college, her faculty, staff were resilient during this time, Mm -hmm. but also saw this as a growth opportunity for the uh, nurses to be a part of this (laughs) pandemic and major uh, health crisis. Uh, So what a great opportunity for growth and development of our nurses. And I guess for me, in addition to, you know, one of the the most important takeaways is when I go to the doctor, I need to have a nurse on speed dial or at least with me. Right. But outside of that, outside of that important nugget, you know, but I think, you know, in particular, I was very intrigued, you know, just hearing about some of the new programs that are coming online, you know, the certified nurse midwife program. And in particular, like the second steps track, that's like 58 weeks for those who may have earned a degree that's looking to maybe reinvent themselves or go into another career field. I thought that was important. And then the other thing that was that resonated well with me was just the that data supports that better care can be associated with having more diverse caregivers. Mm-hmm. So that was something that was was unexpected. So, but it, it was just great to hear. So I, I took a lot away from it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of KUNV. Let's talk UNLV. For my co-host Keith, I'm Renee. Tune in next week, Wednesday at twelve on KUNV 91.5, Jazz and More. That's a wrap.